Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, coming to you not just from our alternate location, Studio 2B, because you've decided it's not the Glass and Closed Nerve Center, but I disagree. <laughs> Studio 2B. Not only are we coming from an alternate location this week, we're a day late. Now, we're a day late because, let's face it, the Spanish Grand Prix was pretty dull. <laughs> kind of soul-suckingly dull. Possibly one of the most boring races we've had in a very long time. It was particularly dull. But what was shocking about the whole experience was we watched it. We went on about our day and admitted that, okay, well, we'll record in a little bit. And the next thing I knew, I looked up, it was nine o'clock at night. Yeah. (laughs) That was because we were overcome by the dullness. You know, it says a lot about a race when it's so dull that everyone's praying for rain. Well, it I was really hoping when they those dark clouds something started appearing would happen. Yeah. It, it was bad. I did see a report that Charles Leclerc actually ran two laps with his seatbelt unbuckled. Yeah, he was he said something about his seatbelt being a problem and then they pulled him from the race because well, he had an intellectual issue, which is what caused the car to do the thing that it did. You mean stop? Stop and spin around. Yeah. That was not pretty. That was a little scary. Yeah. That was exciting. There was an exciting moment right there. It, it was such a boring race that Lewis Hamilton was in a daze and didn't even know the race was over until they radioed him. Yeah. That part kind of amazed me. And you got to think about this. And wait a minute. It was hot. Mercedes have historically not done well with their tires in the heat. Mm-hmm. So we thought that there might be some fun something happen, happen with that. Instead, Lewis was so in a groove that they radioed him and said, Woohoo, P1, you won. And he goes, The race is over? Huh? I didn't even know that was the last lap. I didn't know. How did we do? <laughs> Um, I mean, Max Verstappen yelled at his engineer, but did not remind him to drink this time. I know. Max had a few words. Max was trying to make things happen, but it just wasn't happening. But we've got other stories, thankfully, because the race was so dull. Well, now that we've done the entire summary of the Spanish Grand Prix. We, We have one more story about it. Okay. We'll get there later. Okay. But just one. Well, you know something? Sky Sports even sent in their B team. We had to endure endure Nico Rosberg commentary. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty icky. Yeah, I mean, can't knock Johnny Herbert. No, I like Johnny Herbert. Can't knock the folks in the commentary box. Well, that's their normal. Yeah, Nico Rosberg. Yeah. B team. B team. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Anyway actual stories so remember last week we we heard from toto wolf we said yeah we're not ready to sign the concord agreement it's we're, it's it's not going to happen we're um now he says they're ready to sign it oh new deadline was set of apparently the 18th which is the day after we're recording this so the day this will probably go up mm-hmm. so m- maybe by then we'll hear that some teams have signed it but toto says that um yeah they're now ready to move forward and we should do this okay so what changed? Um, yeah, huh? Yeah. So all, all Toto has said is, I've changed my opinion in Silverstone. I don't think that the teams will ever be united. Everybody tries to achieve some little deals outside everybody. There's a blame culture in the media. So we have decided to move forward with Liberty. I, I've had some very constructive discussions with Chase over the last weekend, and most of the clarifications that we wanted to achieve have been discussed. I feel, we, I feel we're at a good point to sign the Concord Agreement and move on. I, so something... He spoke to Chase Carey. Something that was bothering him has now been resolved. Yeah. But we don't know what the details are anyway. We won't know. So it's all smoke and mirrors. Now, and, and, and this is where I think it's going to be kind of interesting. So we haven't had an announcement that anybody has signed the Concord Agreement. 
But apparently, and, and that's the whole point of this deadline, is that if you sign by the deadline, there are a fi- there is a financial bonus of some sort. Oh, okay. We don't know what that is. For all we know, it could be discounted catering at the Chinese Grand Prix. Well, it could be worth something to some team. Assuming we have another Chinese Grand Prix. Also a, a consideration. But you never know. It could be, you know, a buck or two more. Free parking at Coda for the next race. I think they already get free parking at Coda. Maybe. Maybe they get an armed escort to the Interlagos track in Brazil. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Discounted security. Well, you don't want second-rate security in Interlagos. (laughs) You want that first-rate security. Yeah. So, while we're talking about Total Wolf, apparently um, he's rethinking his role within the Mercedes organization in general. So all of the rumors that have said he's leaving, he's leaving, he's possibly leaving, and he's like, nope, not going anywhere. Um, We're back to he's possibly leaving? Kind of. So what we know is... Much like Lewis Hamilton, Toto's will, Toto's contract is up this year. Okay. So this is a, a time to, to negotiate. And of course, now, you know, Toto has a wife and a kid. He's had a wife and he's had multiple kids. No, he's only got the one. No, he's got other kids. Not with Susie. Yeah, I understand that. But he has <laughs> other children. Um... Yes, but no. This you is the can't. only one. This is the only one with Susie. I didn't know he had other kids. I, this yeah, is... he's got like some preteen kids with his first wife. I I don't remember this. Anyway, he has a toddler. Yes. And Jack. Jack, and he goes to every race. And then you've got Susie, who is team principal for the Venturi Formula E team, who goes to every one of those races. So there's some crossing paths and, you know, high-fiving in the airports and picking up the, the kid from the the in-laws. And, and he's maybe rethinking whether or not he wants to continue to go to every race. Okay. So may, he's considering maybe taking another role within the organization. He says he enjoys leading the team. He enjoys interacting with all the engineers and and being part of the organization and the direction of the organization. But maybe it's time to consider another role within the organization. Okay. So that's all we know right now. He does say that there are really what's going to happen is between him and and the new CEO of Mercedes. But yeah, he he might be considering something different. That would make me sad. I like Toto. Yeah, we we need to see him on the grid. But you know, I I understand to some extent. Well, not to some to, to a lot of extent. I don't know. I mean, I think they could just give Jack a crash helmet and teach him how to change tires. And his little fingers would probably operate those impact guns a whole lot better than anybody on the Haas crew. Ow. That's my day today. Wow. It's all the digs right now. Haas has made you upset. Haas has made me upset. Okay. Not Ferrari. Haas. Well, Haas is the one that has bad pit crew. Ferrari has bad strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They can't find a good strategist to, well, apparently at all. And once again, Sebastian Vettel says there's no need for Ferrari to rethink their strategies. No, not at all. Because 12th on the grid is a fabulous place for Seb to live. Just like Mattia Bonotto says that he's surprised at these reports that there is increased tension between the team and Sebastian Vettel. I kid you not. He's surprised. Has he not listened to the radio? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, goodness gracious. We are like four F-bombs away from another Seb. We haven't had an angry Seb in a long time. Yeah, we are really getting close to setting Seb off. Yeah. So this weekend saw the return of Sergio Perez out of quarantine. Mm -hmm. He actually had a pretty good weekend. He did. So there's been a lot of theories as to how he got exposed and infected. We do know that between Austria and the British Grand Prix, Sergio did go back to Mexico and did see his family. Right. Um, His mother. I believe it was his mother. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a rumor flying around that Sergio has strongly and vehemently denied um, that he went out to dinner with Carlos uh, Slim, who's his main financial backer. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, he has very strongly denied said rumor. Um, He also says that they maintained a very tight bubble while he was in Mexico. That he only visited his family. He did not go out. He did not do any of this other stuff, which leaves the question of how did you get exposed? Because I'm guessing that he flew private. I'm guessing. That would make some level of sense if he was trying to keep that bubble as tight as possible. So Otmar Safnauer was asked as to how this could have happened. And the team's theory is that this was a private chef that exposed him. And do we have why that's the theory? So what Otmar said was, we think he got it from one of the private chefs that he hired. That, quite frankly, could happen to any of us. He took every precaution he could privately. He stayed with his parents. He didn't go out to eat. When he got back to Europe, he hired a private chef so he wouldn't go to the restaurants. We think he got it from the chef. Interesting. I have no way of knowing. I have yeah. not I have not researched Sergio's, you know, entire contact history. But I know that he was in an interview and they asked him about having dinner with Carlos Slim and mm-hmm. any of his activities and he was vehement that he had done everything that he could think of to maintain a tight bubble and take mm-hmm. all the precautions and the fact that he got it even with all of that, I think was kind of a call out to say this is fairly contagious people yeah sergio said that he he hasn't done anything different to the rest of the paddock so i was just the unlucky one to get it i'm not willing to take any blame for that because anyone can get it i was just an unlucky one Mm -hmm. so we do know that he was asymptomatic um they they quarantine him they quarantine the folks in his immediate bubble um, and we have not heard of any other spread. Right. And nobody else is testing positive. And apparently they swab the brains of the entire grid quite often. They do. And actually, and I think I've mentioned this before, but in the lead up to the season opener in Austria, um, Racing Point social media team um, re- posted video, I want to say, on in their Twitter feed of Sergio getting um, his, well, the the back of his skull scraped through his nose. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, you could see very much that it is just as uncomfortable as you would imagine it to be to have a six-inch long uh, swab shoved up your nose. Mm -hmm. It was not an enjoyable experience. I have yet to have that test, so therefore I have no comment on it. Okay. Um, so now we're, we're in the FIA and F1 review section. Oh. So there's, as you recall, um, there was a lot of frustration with the opening lap in Hungary and teams possibly diving in to get new tires and Haas in particular getting penalized. Correct. And the penalty... They weren't supposed to be coaching during that lap. Well, that was the the question, was there was discussion about whether or not they should change tires as opposed to Daniel Kvyat, who just jumped in and said, hey, surprise, I'm here, give me new tires. Mm-hmm. Um, where at the Haas, there was a discussion on this, and both uh, Haas drivers got 10-second penalties for it. Correct. Well, um, Gunther Steiner 
commented on this, and the FIA and Michael Masi is, have admitted that maybe we need to take a look at this. So what uh, Gunther said was, I don't think a 10-second was appropriate because we did the formation lap, but we didn't go back into the formation. We went into the pits and penalized ourselves, and then we got an additional 10 seconds. While somebody can take somebody out of the race and get five seconds, and he can still finish into points. So I think there's a discrepancy between the two penalties. We brought this up with the FIA, the Hungary incident. I'm not bringing up the Albin incident. It's not worthwhile for me. It's okay with that if everybody gets the same five-second penalty. If they run somebody off, I'm fine with it as long as it's dealt with consistently. But then they have to decide that maybe the risk that people take people out because the penalty is very, very low. But that's not me to do. I don't want to get more penalties. I just want to understand. We did our bit to bring it up to the people who need to know in the FIA. Um, so Michael Massey said, we will discuss, as we do with all parts of the regulations, anything that needs to be updated, revised, re and renewed from time to time. The technical directive to which that relates is not different to any other regulation that may need to be considered, reviewed, reviewed or reviewed in the status quo stays. The process, let's call it, is already underway, and we're working with all the teams, not just individuals. And he does say that this was not a request from the teams that's led to this review, despite what Gunther says. He says it was actually the FIA proactively suggesting that it is something we collectively review and understanding the background to it and how it came about so it will be discussed at all levels of the decision-making process. Okay. And, I mean, it makes sense. Th this whole idea of, y yes, there was conversations about changing tires but you brought them in and instead of starting from the grid you started from the pits right which i believe is 15 seconds yeah, so, is usually what that ends up being so why add to the right it wasn't like they dove into the pits and then reformed up on the formation or dove into the pits and were able to get out in front of the pack or in the middle of the pack. Right. They have to wait until all of the cars from the grid pass mm -hmm. before they can leave the pits. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think there, there, it, it's definitely worth a conversation. Yeah. Um, the other thing that has come up, and this one I'm not sure about, I, not the least of which is... I. I well, actually, I know how they're going to police it. I just don't think it's going to do what they want. Um, we got word this week that the FIA is looking very, very closely and likely to come down with a ruling that teams can only run one mo one engine mode from the start of qualifying to the end of the race. The impact that this has is it means that the what they used to call the party mode. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or the qualifying mode, if you want to be a little more. Um, those high power modes that are only good for about a lap or two, teams wouldn't be able to run them. But the other piece of that is that a team that could be far ahead or, or just it looks like the grid is going to lock itself down or, or the, the race is going to you know be fairly solid and processional, that a team can't turn down their engines in a race to preserve it that's what really bothers me well it bothers me on two levels one is the party mode thing really does accentuate the power of mm -hmm. the car it is that single lap best lap you can put together thing that you expect out of qualifying so let's also remember that what was it, three, four years ago, it used to be that the rule was that the tire you start, for cars that made into Q3, mm -hmm. the tire that you started on was the tire that you ran in Q3. Right. And that became an area of concern because if you pushed it as hard as you could to get pole, you could have worn out that tire that now you needed to start the race on, which is why they turned around and said, yeah, that Q3 tire only gets used in Q3, and it's actually now your fastest tire from Q2 is what you start the race on. 
that was why they did that to allow the teams to push as hard as possible in Q3 without having to worry about some other penalty that was going to impact them on the race. And now they're going away from that. And that's part I don't understand. But the other piece, you've limited the number of engines they can have in mm-hmm. a season. You've limited the number of engines they can have in a season where we're not entirely sure how many races we're going to have. Well, that's the thing is, we don't even know how many engines they're allowed to have because we don't know how many races there are going to be. Exactly. And so we've got that dynamic going on of the great unknown. The fact that you're not even allowing them... Okay, so you say you can't turn it up for qualifying, but at least let them turn it down for the race when they're suddenly 40 seconds ahead of the car behind them and 40 seconds behind the car in front of them. Yeah. Running in clean air. I mean... Turn the in, Be able to turn the engine down. Because what you're going to wind up with is they're not going to be able to turn the engine down, so they're going to go into a lift and coast well, mode. Well, that's, that's the thing is everyone hates lift and coast, so that's going to be the next thing is we're going to see more lift and coast because they can't turn the engines down. Right. I, I, I don't understand why this is allowed to be changed in the middle of those season. I'm, I'm having an issue with that one, too. Yeah, and so I think it's coming down as a technical directive, and that's why. So there was a letter that was sent... Um, it was sent by the FIA to the teams that referenced two FIA rules with the first article 2.7 of the 2020 technical regulations headed duty of competitor which reads it is the duty of each competitor to satisfy the FIA technical delegate and the stewards that his automobile complies with these regulations in their entirety at all times during the event the design of the car its components and systems shall with the exception of safety features demonstrate their compliance with these regulations by means of physical inspection of hardware materials no mechanical design may rely upon software inspection as a means of ensuring compliance due to this due to their nature the compliance of electrical systems may be accessed by means of inspection hardware software and data the letter noted that the multitude and complexity of modes being used make it extremely difficult for the FIA to monitor compliance with all the power unit related regulations and provisions in selected critical moments of the event they also cited article 27.1 of the sporting regulations which is the one that says that drivers are required to drive the car alone and unaided and again this goes back to that's the same rule over the radio conversations so the letter now noted that the changes to the internal combustion engine modes that are currently in force could potentially mean that the driver does not drive the car alone and unaided Um, And the letter makes it clear that in order to address the above concerns in the future, we will be requiring that the mode during the qualified session and the race, the power unit should operate in a single mode. I'm not sure I consider changes in engine mode whether or not the driver is driving the car alone and unaided. I mean, I, I, I would almost go so far as to say that well, okay, so we have um, a steering wheel that allows them to change the direction mm-hmm. because their other option would be to lean. <laughs> so that's a driving aid. Uh, yeah. Um, we have DRS to make it easier to pass. That's a driving aid. We With have brakes. Air- we have aerodynamics on the car to allow them to um, go faster into the corners. That's a driving aid. I mean, come we have, on. We have brakes. We have brakes. That applied in the entry. Uh, you, can dr- you can drive the track much faster because you have brakes. Exactly. I mean, really? I, I Yeah. I mean... Obviously, this is a shot at Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's the closest thing I think they, they can do to, like, success ballast. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's a really stupid idea. Here's the thing. Do we honestly believe, you know, granted, Mercedes has sat on the front of the grid at every race the, so far this year. Mm-hmm. Do we honestly believe that their party mode is that much better than the party mode of Red Bull? Well, potentially. Here, here's what we don't know. If you'll recall, 
when, when party mode was was a big topic of discussion uh, Red Bull was still Renault powered and Christian Horner used to make it a very big point of calling out the fact that Renault did not have a party mode available for them mm-hmm. and there was a push to make it go away there was questions about whether or not Ferrari had the ability to have a, a qualifying party mode. However, we also know very much that while, yes, there might not be a qualifying mode in the Renault engines that Red Bull had, they most certainly had the ability to turn engines down to protect them, and they used to do that a la Multi-21. Exactly. That's exactly what that came from, was Weber turned the engine down and Seb didn't. Right. Now, the other thing is, Honda may also now have a party mode. They might. I mean, we haven't heard any complaints from from any of the teams regarding those modes. And I think the last year, the last year or two that, that Red Bull had Renault engines, they got a party mode. Mm-hmm. So, y- y- the question becomes... If they don't have a party mode, do we honestly think that Mercedes won't be on the front gr- the front row? I mean, we know that the fastest car on the grid. Mm-hmm. We know they've got the best driver on the grid. Yeah. So, really, you're, what you're going to do is blow up engines. That's what you've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And that could be blow up engines you, during a race and make it unsafe. You won't just blow up engines. But I think you're also going to run into, and and it's the same thing we saw with the high deg tires, is you're going to have leaders driving slower laps, whether it's lift and coast or whatever, to protect the engines. And especially on a track like Monaco or a track like Barcelona or something like that, all they're going to do is back up the field. Yeah. That's all it is. I mean, we saw Daniel Ricciardo win Monaco because he backed up the field. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't see this being a good thing. I'm opposed. I'm going to write them a letter. Okay. I'm going to use Ferrari letterhead though. So F1 also says that, and, and it's the FIA in particular. Um, they are promising teams that they are going to clamp down on the use of photography and other techniques used to reverse engineer copies of rival cars. Okay. And everybody goes, yeah, we're not sure how you're going to do this. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea because nobody wants to have another racing point like we have right now. How are you going to do this? No photography on the grid. (laughs) So instead, yeah, instead they're going to go with the videos. I mean, now Toto did say that they have had times where they have seen other teams wander through the pits with 3D cameras taking measurements of the rivals' cars. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean... Okay, but let's get honest for a second. When... Let's compare this to any other sport. Let's say, I don't know, football. NASCAR? (laughs) No, football. Okay. So... I don't know a whole lot about football, but every sport movie I've ever seen has the lead player spending an inordinate amount of time watching game tapes of his rivals, of the upcoming team, and looking for the tells and looking for their weaknesses. And, oh, look, they always throw to the left side of the field on this day and this time and if you can you know stack the field that way then you could overcome their weak their exploit their weaknesses so what what those sports allow and and it's and and, and in a way this goes back to the to the astros cheating scam i was gonna make that is you can if you can predict and analyze and figure out what they're doing you can counter that. That's legal. But stealing the playbook or stealing signals and communicating that to the team is not allowed. But see, I have a question about that. I, okay. Honest question here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm honestly really not trying to be flip. 
if I spend the hours to watch the, the footage and I find out that the third base coach rubs his belly when he's signaling the second baseman to steal a base. Mm -hmm. That's a signal. I have figured out that if I watch that coach, I can tell when he's about to signal a steal. Why in the world is it not legal for me to turn around and go, guys, he's about to steal. So the the difference and and, and the, the big difference is if the players do it, because the players have figured out the the signal, it's legal. You can't stop, you know, what you're seeing. Where the Astros got in trouble was that it wasn't the players that were spotting it and communicating it back. It was a member of the team sitting up in the bleachers with binoculars beating on a drum to signal the team. Based on what he was signaling, they were reacting to what was going on. As opposed to say, oh, I don't know, one of the pitchers in the bullpen with a pair of binoculars on the phone. Because that's the other thing is, okay, so you've got one of your relief pitchers that's sitting in in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And he's watching the catcher signals. By the time he would turn around and pick up the phone and call the manager and go, hey, it's going to be a fastball, and the manager could signal the batter, the catcher's already got the ball and is throwing it back to the pitcher because he's already thrown the pitch. So there's that. Apparently, teams are not allowed to have cell phones and smartphones and stuff in the dugouts. Okay to also further prevent such sign stealing. Okay, so what I did not understand, and this is why we have Mm -hmm. these conversations, I did not realize that they basically had a third party, like an extra team member, sitting in the stands doing the signal to the team. Yeah, he was signaling the team with a drum. What I thought was happening, or at least because details Mm -hmm. when the sport report is on is not my thing, what I thought was happening was that, okay, somebody had taken the time to review all the tapes. They realized the third base coach of whatever team rubs his belly when he's signaling to steal a base. And so they had had one of the the guys sitting in the dugout, one of the coaches, the managers, or whatever, watching for that signal and then was signaling across to the team. Like it was happening on the mm-hmm. field kind of a thing. So one coach signaling to the other coach, I see, you know, like on yeah. the football field, when you, you watch the guy go, you know, right 42 flag, whatever, and mm-hmm. suddenly that means something. And the other team knows what that means because they've watched all the game, tw- game tape. Yeah. That's what I was thinking it was. I did not realize we had a drum in the stands. So yeah, that, that That's what that was. It, so th- there was actual steal. But it's also, it's the same thing. If, if you steal a team's playbook... And leverage, that's illegal as well. Okay, but again, we've also had dumpster, you know, dumpster gate (laughs) where somebody purposely on accident left the plans for the car in the dumpster. Yeah, that. But I go back to if the team, you know, there's a level of effort to do this. Mm -hmm. And I honestly go back to if you were honestly... And going through the process to vet out open source design, why are you having such an issue with Racing Point? Yeah. They did a metric ton of work in order to do this. They've proven that they did the work, that they didn't get the design from their engine supplier. They did the work for it. Well, they got the breakdown from the engine supplier. Okay, but it was not a listed part when they didn't get the listed brake duct. They yeah. got the 2019 unlisted brake duct, which I still have a problem with that <laughs> that one. But at the end of the day, they did a lot of work. And I think that it's, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I think that's important. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so- normally a stroll team supporter, but I honestly don't think Racing Point did anything truly Wrong. Well, Cyril Abitbula over at Renault, he is pushing, and, and Renault is, as we mentioned, appealing the decision. 
they're pushing for Racing Point to lose all of their points. I think he's being a little well pushy. So where Cyril gets this from and why Cyril is pushing this, we have some, some reasoning from him. He says, we were expecting a consistent sanction with other sanctions that we've seen in the past. The most recent one we accepted last year was after Suzuka, when we were found in breach of the sporting regulations and not the technical regulations, and excluded from that event, therefore losing all our points. There was no discount for Renault, so I don't know why there should be a discount for Racing Point. It should be all the points of the events that we've been protesting. So that's his point. Which, by the way, if, if I remember correctly, the reason why there was the investigation of Renault, and I don't remember exactly what it was last year at Suzuka, but it was the, the investigation of Renault that caused them to get excluded from Suzuka. It was due to a complaint and a protest filed by Racing yeah, they're they're uh, not that? not happy with each other. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, the pieces start to line up a little here. Yeah, what you have to remember <clears throat> is who you ticked off on your way up, because you might have to deal with them on the way down. Yeah. So Renault is still protesting. So they filed their letter of intent and they filed their protest. And th their latest protest because yes. they, they protested Spain. They protested every race. Um, but they have also acknowledged that they are still protesting the findings of the investigation. Mm -hmm. um, so as you recall last week, we said normally you get an hour to, to file your, your notice of intent to protest. And then you get 96 hours after that. Because of the complexity of the ruling, teams got 24 hours to file notice of intent, and then 96 hours after that. So originally we had um, the teams that filed in the 96 hours that they were, or the initial notice of intent to protest was um, Racing Point, Renault, Ferrari, McLaren, and Williams. Correct. Um we know why Racing Point is appealing. That's there, an easy yeah. one. That's a that's a super easy one. Um, Claire Williams came out and said why they were protesting and where this came from. Um, what what she said was that you know it's it's a difficult conversation for all of us to have. Quite honestly, nobody wants to be criticizing your fellow competitors. As much as this is a sport, we're all incredibly competitive against each other, and you use everything within your armory to beat your rivals. Nobody ever really wants this situation. But Williams has always been very clear on what we feel to be the real and true DNA of this sport, their traditional DNA. Some would argue that that is traditional, that is history, and in order to be successful, you need to adapt, innovate, and change, and that's what teams like Racing Point have done. But we will always stand by the philosophy that Formula One teams, constructors, should absolutely be designing and manufacturing performance-related parts on their cars. Obviously, this is the question, the debate that's going on around Racing Point at the moment with their rear brake ducts. I don't want to get into a whole lot of commentary about it, but I think that it's right. So they submitted their intent to protest. And then before the deadline was up, they dropped that. Okay. They announced that they are not protesting it. And what they they released a statement that said that we believe the FIA's decision to seek the prohibition of extensive car copying for 2021 on addresses our most fundamental concern and reasserts the role and responsibility of a constructor within the sport, which is fundamental to Formula One's DNA and Williams' core belief and principles. Okay. So that's Williams has now dropped it. McLaren has also withdrawn their appeal, citing basically the same thing, that because the FIA is going to step up and somehow prevent copying, that they're good. Okay. I, I, we don't know how that's going to work, but... Yeah. What I find is interesting. Did you, did you just catch that similarity of where... What these two teams have in common, besides <laughs> the fact that they're garageistas? They're both Mercedes engine purchasers. Close. Oh. 
Only because McLaren will be getting a Mercedes engine next year. Correct. But yeah, yeah it, it was kind of interesting that that the two Mercedes powered teams. Yeah, that was uh, pretty quick. That they're the ones that like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're opposed to the copying, but we're really not going to appeal this one. And Ferrari has not withdrawn their appeal. Oh, interesting. Now, what I have not found is in the statement anywhere, despite what David Croft said at, on, uh, I believe it was Saturday, that you know they wanted to have, they were le- leaving the appeal in there because they wanted clarity around the the situation. Oh, I, I I did not find anything in the <laughs> statement about that. But you know, Ferrari likes to write their letters. Yeah, for clarity. For clarity. Um, also, if you'll recall, last week, um, Otmar Safnauer lashing out at Zach Brown over at McLaren, mm-hmm. and and saying that Zach knows. Um, doesn't know anything about Formula One, but that he knows more about historic racing. Ah, yes. Remember, you remember that whole thing. So, so Zach, um, Zach responded. <laughs> okay. Zach, Zach wasn't going to let this this lie. No, we're not done with this yet. So, so Zach said, "I thought a lot of what Otmar said was accurate. I'm not an engineer. I don't know the rule book. First page. Excuse me. I'm not an engineer. I don't know the rule book. First page to the last page." But as CEO, you have a racing team, and it's their job to know the rule book and the regulations. In my time here leading McLaren, I've never been fined a dollar, let alone 400,000 euros. I've never been docked points. I think Otmar thought it was 7.5 points until Sky TV pointed out it was 15 points. As far as historic racing is concerned, I think people that know me know I enjoy historic racing. And I'd invite Otmar to come join me because he's got a historic car that he's currently racing. Ooh, burn! <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> Ouch! Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking that the half hours um, are not on the Browns Christmas card list, uh, and, and vice versa. There, yeah, probably not. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, the the only other thing that we'll, we'll mention from the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> remember that complaint that Valtteri had about the, the coveralls? Yes. I thought that was very funny, by the way. Yeah. Um, Valtteri says that actually um, he lost three kilograms during the race that he blames directly on the coveralls. Wow. He said... Um, it's It was really hot in the car. This year, it's been even hotter in the car. Obviously, we had to change the color of the overalls, and it's known that black color takes more of the heat, especially when there's direct sun. I don't know any number or facts how much actually black versus white is in terms of temperature difference, but this year, it's been really hot in the car. Also, And also, there's a new homologation this year for the overalls, so they are thicker and the underwear is thicker. So I don't know how much effect that has. It was just so hot. I said, guys, you know that these overalls are way too hot. And for sure, white would be cooler in terms of temperature. And today, for example, I lost three kilos in the race, which is quite a lot. And that's where it can start to affect performance. I know that from all drivers, I'm one of the fittest, if not the fittest. So I can take it, but it's never comfortable and there are always things that we can improve. You know. So if we listen to Nico Rosberg's advice on Sunday, he should not take no as an answer from his engineers. He needs to demand better cooling. (laughs) Because Nico knows these things. (laughs) B team. <laughs> now, I will grant that yes, black is going to absorb more heat than white. That is unknown scientific mm-hmm. test and proof and theory and all of those things. But he also clearly states that they're made of a different material. Yeah. And the underwear is heavier. Now, I didn't realize this, and this was mentioned in the race when we first heard Valtteri complain about the Mm -hmm. heat, that they are essentially wearing 
four layers of clothing. Yeah. That is a lot. And like two layers of fireproof underwear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get the need for the safety and don't get me wrong. Do not hear I am (laughs) opposed to safety because Jackie calls me up in the middle of the night and tells me that I say things that sound like I oppose safety. Well, the reality is he's not calling you in the middle of the night. In Scotland where he is, it's eight in the morning. Well, I understand that, <laughs> but he wakes me up and informs me that I am soft on safety, and that is not the case. <laughs> I am pro-safety. I am down with the good safety things. I believe that he's done an incredible job. So really? I'm for safety third. No, not safety third. <laughs> safety fast. <laughs> safety fast, not safety third. Um, but I believe that Jackie and I are on the same page here. However, fireproof underwear is hot. (laughs) I get it. I don't want the guys to catch on fire. I want them to be safe. But perhaps we could put some level of engineering into the clothing to create something that is both fireproof and cooler. So they need the cooling fabric from Uniqlo. Airism. There you go. That is technology i just unfortunately don't think that it's fireproof oh well yeah but it's pretty <laughs> darn cool not you know no pun intended but so while we're talking about cooling and you know obviously the mercedes they've changed the color of the car and black does absorb heat as opposed to reflecting it and knowing that the mercedes tend to have a problem with cooling in general there has been a question about the impact of the color on the cooling. That's an interesting thing. I mean, honestly, they've been silver for so long. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about <clears throat> things that change when they change something that could have microseconds of change impact. And that's big deals. Well, we have we have James Vows, oh. who, who has given us more and james vows for those of you that don't know he uh is the strategy director for for mercedes uh james said in austria that inside the engine cover there's actually a silver lining not that kind of a silver line (laughs) a heat resistant silver lining okay he says and that is in place irrespective of the outside color but we can't see any difference on our radiator temperatures or other temperatures of core systems within the car as the result of the paint color externally. There's a little bit more reflection that should exist really with a lighter color, but the reality is it has negligible impacts or no no effects on our system temperatures. Interesting. But isn't it wild that they look at that stuff? Well, you you have to. Yeah, but... I mean... Okay, so I grew up in Florida where everybody and their little brother drives white cars because it's so much cooler, they say. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case... It's not nearly as big as you think. It's not as big a deal. But nobody's actually going through <clears throat> the, the trouble of scientifically measuring it yep. to confirm that it's not... It's, it's psychological. It's not necessarily reality. And in Formula that One, would have been a perfect episode for MythBusters. It would have been, but we've lost Grant and yeah. Hara, and therefore we can't have any more. We're not getting the band back together. The band can't get back together. Okay, so now now that you have given us crushing sadness, <laughs> we have to move past it. So, a reminder of what we know about the calendar so far. It's so incomplete. Next week we have no no race. Actually this coming weekend. There is no race. We have a break. They're on a break. Mm-hmm. Um from there we go to spa for what we and spa is the same weekend it was originally scheduled, so no change in the calendar there. And then from there to Monza. Okay. Again, no change in the calendar there. After that, the the third race of the, the three race run is Sochi that they are expecting to allow 30,000 fans to the track. I think that's going to be crazy. Well, okay, think think about this cuz we we've we've watched this race before and and you've seen the size of that facility. Mm-hmm. 
there have been a couple of years when you looked at the the stands and you looked at everything you know the the crowds that was there um 30,000 might have been an optimistic count for the number of fans <laughs> in attendance in a regular season. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> okay, so it, it's... It's not necessarily, like China, not necessarily a well-attended race. Well, and that would possibly be a good thing. What I'm hoping is that they won't do things like grid walks. Like, they don't open the bubble for the drivers. Put them in the. I don't think they're going to do that. Put them in the stands, fine, but keep separation for the drivers so we don't get a sick driver. I'm all against sick drivers. See, back to Jackie and I talking in the middle of the night. Okay. So after Russia, again, another week break. Then we go to Portugal. Okay. And then, no, actually, we go to Mugello, then Portugal, then Imola. Okay. I believe that's it. I have to double check. I think that's how it goes. I just know Imola is right after Portugal. Right. Well, those three circuits are circuits that Formula One hasn't been to in quite a while and certainly has not been to with the modern cars. Right. We do know that some of the teams have been to Mugello before the uh, announcement was made. And well, we know Ferrari went to Mugello because Ferrari owns Mugello. Um, and we know that Alpha Tari went to Imola for, and, and they ran two different sessions for Alpha Tari. Um, they ran their scheduled photo day, which I believe is only about 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And then they ran it with two year old cars to give right. the driver some more seat times and stuff like that. Formula One has come forward and they have said, and, and apparently this has been approved by the team bosses through an e vote. That teams will not be allowed to do any additional testing at these tracks. Oh, interesting. So filming days, if you have filming days left, you cannot do them in either of these two tracks. Nor can you take two-year-old cars to these tracks to get running and experience on them. Interesting. Now, what teams could get away with is if they can get the time from the track. And it's not clear that they can, especially Portugal, because apparently Portugal um, next month, and I think it's going to, I think it'll work out to be just before the race, they're resurfacing the track. Oh, great. Um, but Portugal, um, if you can get the time in to do it, you could potentially put your drivers on there in sports cars or. F2 cars or Formula 2000 cars. Carts. Yeah, you could potentially put them in carts. <laughs> you can do this in carts. <laughs> yeah. That that's all the teams are going to be able to get if they if they can even book the track. Oh wow. Cuz that's the other thing is you got to book track time to do it. It'll be interesting to see what happens with drivers who have literally never been around these tracks before. Mhm. Oh, I forgot Nürburgring. We've got Nürburgring. It's been announced, too. Okay. Um, What happens after that round of races is still up in the air. So Formula One was pushing very hard to go to Asia. Um, It does not at this point sound like that's going to happen. Uh, I I think they, they thought that it was the most promising that they could get to Vietnam and it does not look like they're going to get a deal to, to go there now. Mm-hmm. So then the question is where next for Formula One? Um, they're still talking very strong about um, Bahrain and Abu Dhabi for December. Okay. Which means we have November that is open. Word is that the two tracks currently being considered and being discussed is Turkey and Hareth. Awesome. Turkey had a reputation of being a very good racetrack. Cool. That the drivers liked it. It had good racing. Um, Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel crashed into each other. Actually, it was more Sebastian Vettel crashed into Mark Webber um, at Turkey. Uh, The question around Turkey is it is not used for any racing events at this point Mm. um 
so it needs to get inspected they need to make sure that it can meet grade one certification um, if fans are allowed in they said there are repairs that would be needed to the grandstands but the rest of the facility according to the organ the, the owners of the track is in good shape and could take a race okay Haref has hosted testing um they i know they did in 2012 i don't remember if they did in 2013 it's been a while though it's been it's been quite a while um but that's the next question is maybe Haref making grace i am really sad that they're not talking to power card because you know how exciting that track is <laughs> yeah well, I think it'll be interesting. I'm really excited for us to eventually get a final count on the races. I'm sure the teams would like that for strategy purposes. Yeah. How do you know when to change the engine out? How do you know when to change the engine? How do you know if... Well, actually, you don't have to worry about so much car development and shifting car development around. I mean, that was one of the other big questions of, you know... But, okay, so you've got somebody that's changed an engine. How do we know whether or not they get a penalty? Because we don't know if they're over-engine checked. Well, one of the ways that you do know, because remember, Max Verstappen changed an engine this, this weekend. Right. However, he went back to an engine that they already used this season, so there was no penalty assessed. Right. But, but a new engine, yeah, we don't know. We don't know what so the allocation should be. So if they get three engines because of the number of the races, but we've only announced enough races for two engines, if they put the third engine in and we wind up with enough races that they should have gotten three engines... I mean, think about that. Yeah. How, how are you going to assess any sort of penalty for engines? Which, of course, leads me to my other soapbox that says this is stupid to assess penalties for engines, but that's just me. Well... Yeah, it, it, that, that's one of those yes and no's. It, it's, as we've seen, it can get ridiculous very quickly. Exactly. And that's the problem. I don't necessarily have a problem with saying you can only have X number of engines. But, yeah, when a team gets it that wrong, it then gets ridiculous because they the penalties are meaningless. Um, but I see that you want to shift gears. Yeah, I, I wanted to shift gears because, again... There's no Formula One this weekend. And, and this is the first time in a very, very, very long time that we don't have a conflict between Formula One and IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500 in specific. Yes. Because normally it's the same day. Yes, for Monaco. So this weekend is the Indianapolis 500 and future Renault driver, past and future, <laughs> Renault driver Fernando Alonso is competing this weekend. Um, he did qualify, and Cyril Abitbull has uh, come out and said that one, he's barely breathing over this. He has some very big concerns over Fernando's participation in the event because he's scared for his safety. Um, well, he doesn't want an incident to occur that means that Fernando can't drive for them. Yeah. Or, you know, something that affects his, his nerves, something along those lines. And, you know, it doesn't help that uh, in Thursday practice this week, and by the way, this is Fernando's third attempt at the Indy 500. In Thursday's practice, um, Fernando did, in fact, get into a wreck at turn four. Oh, lovely. Heavily damaged his car. Okay. So, yeah, he's a, he's a bit concerned about that. The other thing that, that Cyril has come out and said that is that contractually... Once Fernando officially joins the team, his contract does not allow him to participate in the Indy 500. <laughs> okay. So there will not be a return in 2021 to Indianapolis for Fernando Alonso. Well, hopefully either it gets it done this year or we get done with trying to get the Triple Crown. Yeah, so about that. Yes. So I, I also have, because qualifying was this past—actually, I think it was last weekend— uh, for the Indy 500, we have the starting grid. Yes, we do. So one of the things I should point out is that the starting grid for the Indy 500, unlike Formula 1, and again, it, it's, a, it's a running start as opposed to Formula 1 standing start, but it's a three okay. across grid as opposed to Formula 1's two across grid. So the front row of the Indy 500 in pole, shockingly enough, 
and I'm stunned by this when I heard this. Marco Andretti yep. in pole. Mm-hmm. Um, and next to him, Scott Dixon and Takuma Sato, who Takuma Sato was the one who won the Indy 500 Fernando's first year Correct. that he ran. But in the second row, starting fourth, Renus VK. Oh, awesome. Renus VK is starting fourth in, uh, I think, Ed, one of Ed Carpenter's cars. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, but starting ninth is Alexander Rossi. Yes. So now you're wondering, well, where's Fernando Alonso? No, not so much. Everybody else is wondering, <laughs> so where's Fernando Alonso? So, you know, we, we scroll down a, bat, a bit. You know, we're at row four, and we have Marcus Erickson starting in 11th. Um, we get back to row five, and that's where we hit the first of the Arrow McLaren Schmidt Peterson. Actually, it's Arrow McLaren SP. It's not Schmidt Peterson anymore, but okay. the, the first Arrow McLaren SP car being driven by Patricio Award. Okay. Uh, that is starting in 15th. Um, then we go back to row six. Um, yeah, no, he's not there. We go all the way back to row seven, and starting 21st is the next Arrow McLaren SP car. That would be Oliver Askew. We know Oliver, don't we? Yeah, I believe. Well, we, we, know we haven't of, met him. We know of, of Oliver. Oliver. Um, but yeah, he, he's in, in 21st. By the way, he's behind Santino Ferrucci, who's starting in 19th. Okay. Santino Ferrucci, who shouldn't be driving anything because he's a jackass. But. <laughs> Clean rating. Okay, he's a jerk. <laughs> so 21st is the second Arrow McLaren SP racing car. Now we're in, that was row seven. Row seven. Row eight. Nope, he's not there. We got Will Power and Tony Kanaan and Dalton Kennett. Row 9, Simon Pagino in 25th, Fernando Alonso in 26th. So out of just vague curiosity, mm-hmm. I do know the answer to this question, but out mm-hmm. of vague curiosity, share with the rest of the class, how many total drivers are actually in the Indy 500? Um, 33. So you're telling me that he's third row from the back. Yeah. So qualifying is based on four laps and your and your average speed on mm-hmm. those four laps. Fernando's average speed was 228.768 miles per hour. By comparison, Oliver Askew was 229.760 miles miles per hour. And Patricio Award was at 230.213 miles per hour. Marco Andretti was at 231. Oh, wow. I, I'm thinking that maybe Fernando is uh, no longer at the top of his game. Well, I could have told you that. I think Fernando needs to see that he's no longer at the top of his game. All I'm saying is that we do have some 40-somethings up on the front row. Yeah. So it is possible to be in your 40s and be at the top of your game. Marco's in his 40s? I don't think Marco's in his 40s. Scott definitely is. Scott Scott Dixon is in his 40s, and I think Takuma Sato is. Um, And Takuma Sato, again, he's... Won the Indy 500 mm-hmm. at least once. I think once. And, you know, Alex, our friend Alex, has won it once. Mm hmm. So, yeah. And, I mean, Renus VK in fourth. That's nice. In fourth. I have a picture with him, and I told him when I took it that I was taking it so that I could say I knew you when. <laughs> now, I gotta tell you. He's got the most formidable father I have ever met. Nice guy. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Absolute biggest cheerleader for his son out there. But the man's huge. (laughs) Man's got shoulders on him like a linebacker. And um, honestly reminds me. And some of it has to do with the fact that they're both Dutch. 
but mm-hmm. so reminds me of Yas Verstappen. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I wouldn't be surprised if Renus has um, competed against Max. Oh yeah, they've got the same sponsors. They got the same sponsors. Yeah, Jumbo, and Jumbo they're similar is, ages. Yeah, Jumbo sponsors both of them. Yeah, and Renus is. I mean, he's <clears throat> dang good driver. Yeah. Well, obviously, he qualified fourth. Yes. Compared to the two-time Formula One world champion who qualified all the way back in 26th. On row nine. Yeah. Now, he he did out-qualify Max Chilton. Okay, but that's Max. He qualified Elio Castroneves and Charlie Kimball. He outqualified the Salesforce car. Ah. <laughs> well, you know, you can't expect the Salesforce car to do very much. It's a cloud. Ouch. And on that note, we'll call it a show. <laughs> we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Phew.